isn't it something that to know that we serve a God and who does all these things and he he wasn't somebody who was created uh people like to say the heretics out there like oh well they just created this this Jesus fellow at the council of Nicaea nobody believed in or nobody followed but that that neglects so much history that was taking place not to mention that's not what they did at the council of Nicaea but that's neither here nor there but we serve a God who is not created who was there before the foundations of the earth he's the one who spoke in the universe leapt into existence um, and it's amazing it's astounding to me when we think about all the things that God has done the thing that God continues to do and we have the ability to watch miracles take place right before our very eyes this morning we're going to continue our series in the book of Nehemiah we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 9 here this morning and I'm here to the, this morning to uh, disrupt your life. I'm here to shake w w what you have believed. I'm here to shake your foundation and your core this morning. The way you currently do life doesn't work, and you know it. And it's time for you to confess it. Through the Apostle Paul, God tells us to be in the world, but not of the world. But, but what does this mean? I'm sure most of us have heard this, to be in the world, but not of the world. But what exactly does this mean? This world, its inhabitants, and the vast majority of the population are not of God. Most of the people walking among this earth right now do not follow God, do not know who he is, and are not trying to please him, not trying to obey him, know nothing about him. The world is not of God. In the New Testament, when it refers to the world, it's talking about the earth and the people who live on the earth. By and large, the people of this earth function apart from God. The Bible says, the narrow is the gate, but wide is the gate that leads to destruction. But narrow is the gate that, that leads to life. In fact, Satan is the ruler of this earth. John 12 and 31 says, now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. John goes on in 16 and 11 concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged and furthermore, 1 John 5 and 19, we know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. You see, this world, this system is ruled by Satan and by sin. As Christians, we live in the world, but we are of Christ. We're not of the world, we're of Christ. So we're no longer ruled by sin. We're no longer bound by the world's principles. And while we might be physically present, we don't share the same values as others who are of the world. Our values are completely, or they should be completely different. 
than what we see in the world. John 17 and 14 says, I have given them your word and the, the world has hated them because they are not of the, the world, just as I am not of the world. I don't ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. So we're supposed to be in the world, but again, not of the world, but we are set apart. We are not to engage in the sinful activities and the ideas that the world promotes. As Christians, we should be cautious when we start acting like and we start to agree with what the world says and does. We should be very cautious when this starts to happen. And I'm not to say that, you know, everything that the, the world says and does is always wrong. I mean, a, a broken clock is right twice a day. But we should be cautious about what it is that we are taking in. When we start to align with the world, we, we need to realize and our foundation needs to be scripture. Our barometer needs to be what God has said in his word. So if you hear something uh, in the world and you think it sounds good or okay, we need to go and check it in God's word. We need to check with him first. Is, is this good? Is this, is this right? Is this the way that we ought to go? This, brothers and sisters, is our foundation. This is our, our guide point. This is our barometer for us to understand God and, and who we are and what we're supposed to do in this world. We should be cautious when we start to agree with what the world says. All of our thoughts, our actions, and belief should be grounded in scripture. When we think about life, when we think about the world, when we think about everything that happens in, in, in our lives and in, in the world, in the country, whatever it may be, we need to go and check how we should think about things. We need to think about things biblically. What should we think about war? What should we think about alcohol? What should we think about biology? What should we think about marriage? What should we think about patriotism? While all of these might not be directly addressed in Scripture, Scripture helps us to have a mind so that we know how to go down that path. And we puts us in the right direction. How do we think holistically? And while Scripture might be silent in this area, but how should we think through things from a biblical foundation? Romans 12 and 1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. But get this here. It says in verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. This is what I'm saying. When we come across things, we need to test things to know what is the will of God. How do you test it if you don't know God? If you don't know scripture? How do you know which way I ought to go? How do you know which way I ought to think? How do I transform my mind? It says that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. It says what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is what we should be doing. This is how we should be thinking about everything in our lives, what decisions we have to make 
uh, how how we vote, how how we 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 talk to people, how we choose jo- whatever it is that you have in front of you, it needs to be based in scripture and have a, a biblical thought process. We're supposed to be different. And people don't like to be different these days. They want to fit in, right? I, I just want to blend in. I don't want to be, be out here. I don't want to be an outcast. But we are called to be different. The churchy term is, is sanctified, set apart. We're, we're going to be weird. Jesus was. Every turn, everything that he did. They're like, why is that, why is that guy doing that? That's not how we're supposed to act. That's not what we're supposed to do. And Jesus will set them straight. We're supposed to be different. As Christ followers, it's important that we are in the world so that we can be light to those who are in spiritual darkness. We have an incredible responsibility here. As we're in the world and people are depressed, downtrodden, upset, or challenged by everything that's going on in the world, we're there in their midst to be light in the darkness. And we're supposed to be so different that people ask, like, why? What's up with you? Why do you react in this way? While the world is falling apart, the economy is going away, the stocks are plummeting, crypto is, is, out of, is going to zero. How do we think about, how come you're okay and got a smile on your face? When's the last time you filled up your gas tank? How are you doing this with a, a smile on your face? And you can tell them, let me tell you about a man named Jesus. And even though it, I had to take out a loan for my gas, but I know that Jesus is going to call me home one day, hopefully before I got to pay that loan back. Let me tell you about what he's done for me and how good he's been for me in my life. You too can have hope because he died for you too. He died and paid the penalty that you were supposed to bear. That's, That's what we're supposed to do. That's why we're here. That's our goal. That's our purpose. Our lives should be a reflection of what Christ has done for us. Our good deeds and the way we carry ourselves should be because uh, of who Christ is. And people should wonder what it is that's different about us. While we are in the world, we can enjoy God's creation in the world, but we need to be careful not to immerse ourselves in what the world values. You see, the world values pleasure above and beyond everything else. But for the Christian, pleasure is not our calling. Pleasure is not what we're after. Uh, pleasure is good. It will we'll, we'll get some satisfaction in this world, of course, but we're not driven by that. We're not driven by our feelings. Our calling as Christians is to worship God and love him forever. Our purpose is to make disciples who make disciples. That's what we're here for. That's our purpose. That's our goal. That's our aim. One of the ways that we can disrupt this life that we currently live and realign ourselves back to God is through prayer. This is foundational to who we are. As people, we talked about uh, for a couple of weeks, we talked about worship and how we're made to worship. If you're not worshiping God, I guarantee you're worshiping somebody else or something else. And that somebody, something else is called an idol. 
There's something that you made up that you want to choose to worship aside from the true and living God. And God is the only one that's worthy of our worship. But if we're not careful, we're going to end up worshiping a lot of other things in our lives. The way we come back, the way we realign, the way we get back straight is through our prayer lives. For some reason, prayer is one of the most difficult things in a Christian life, isn't it? I mean, next to evangelism, where everybody's scared of that word, like, I'm not an evangelist, that's somebody else. But next to evangelism, prayer, for some reason, we've made in our heads about how uh, hard this is. And we try to pray. And I, I know, I know this is, maybe, maybe I'm just speaking for myself. This is where I came from. You know, I start praying, and then all of a sudden my mind started wondering, did I take the laundry out? Did I close the garage door when I? And I wonder what I'm having for lunch, and my stomach's growling. Oh, I, now I'm supposed to be praying. Right? We start praying, and we have all good purposes and intents, and then our, our mind just goes. We start off really good, and we, we suddenly wander off somewhere else. But listen, prayer can be a conversation that we have with God. Second Samuel 7 and 18 says, Then King David went in and sat before the Lord, and he says, Who am I, O Lord God? What is my house that you have brought me this far? And yet this was a small thing in your eyes, O Lord. You have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come. And this is instruction for mankind, O Lord God. See here, the King David, is he's just having a, a normal conversation with God. This, this is how prayer can look for us. I, I came up in a church where people would say all these flowery things when they, when they prayed, and, and it was nothing like a normal conversation. You, you know what I'm saying? Oh, here, here, oh God, and I'm here, and I just love you and bless you, oh God, and you continue to, to move the mountains and shake the, the foundations, oh God. And I mean, what in normal conversation do you use a person's name that often? Oh, Matthew, I got to tell you that I really missed you, Matthew. And when you weren't here, Matthew, I just kept thinking about you. And I hope I can support you, Matthew, when everything. I mean, who talks like that? The prayer can be a normal conversation that we have with God. And the, the scripture tells us to, to, to pray without ceasing, to continue to pray uh, all day. You can pray. Uh, uh, you have dedicated time where you, you pray for a long period, but throughout the day you can, you know, just scattershot prayer. Say what you feel. Say what you think in support of, of what you're supposed to do. There's a book of common prayer that's used uh, that's been used from the 1500s. So these are written prayers that are written out. That's okay, too, to go and, and read somebody else's prayer or to write out your own prayer in advance and to, to pray that to God. I like to use a book called The Valley of Vision, which is a collection of Puritan prayers. You know, the way they used to pray back in the day is very different than what we pray now. And it's been, been good for my soul to be able to, to, to recite some of the things that they have put on for us. There's other ways to pray, but the most important part is the attitude and the heart that we have when we approach our prayer lives. Just like it is when you have any other conversation with somebody, you, they can tell when you have ulterior motives. 
when you only talk to somebody when you need something. They'll get it sometimes, and they, you will find they'll start to avoid you. That's how we are as people. God's not going to avoid you, but he knows the, the position of your heart when you only come to him when you need something or something isn't going well, and, and you, uh, well, I'm, I guess I'll just pray about it then. I can't, everything else didn't work. Our prayer life is something that is, uh, is not self-serving. We first go to God and we go to him to glorify him. And this doesn't mean that we can't ever pray for ourselves, but as we seek God's guidance, we should be uh, uh, intentional about giving him the glory, giving him the honor through our prayer lives. Like any other relationship, it just takes time. So if you're here among us today, the way I learned to pray is by praying. The way I learned to pray is being around other folks that know how to pray. And I've been so blessed over the years just to go to prayer service and just to listen to, to, to mature saints that have been praying longer than I've been alive and to hear them just pour out to the Lord. I have grown so much and that informed how I can pray. It was acceptable. I didn't, I didn't have to do like the, the folks that I saw growing up who had all these flowery prayers. And I'm like, I can't do that. And I learned that it was okay. But I urge you today, if, if you're uncomfortable praying, first, pray. You've got to practice. And second, be around people who are people of prayer. We have a prayer service that takes place every Wednesday night on Zoom at 7 p.m. Come jump on Zoom. You can come in person if you want here in, in, in the church. And just be surrounded by people who are prayer warriors. And even if you just jumped in, uh, you know, the shortest verse in the Bible is Jesus wept. If you just came in and said, thank you, God, man, that's a prayer. That's a powerful prayer, too, because you've got a lot to be thankful for. Even to praise God. Yes, we should praise him. Absolutely. Because he is who he is. Imagine if you only talked to your spouse on date night. Your date night's on Friday, and you only talk to them on that date night. What if they came to you on Tuesday and said, oh, I got something to really talk about. Ah, 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 ah. Nope, date night. Save that for a Friday night. We can talk about it then. What kind of relationship would that be? I don't want to hear about the bills. I don't want to hear about the kids. Save it to date night. That's, that's our designated time to talk. So just like we sometimes wait for Sunday mornings, we don't have to wait till Wednesday nights to have a conversation with our God. Nehemiah gives us a great example for how we should orient ourselves with God. And throughout this book, we see how Nehemiah prioritizes his time in prayer he does this alone by himself, but also through the course of the day, we see him uh, praying as well. And we see how this directs everything that he does. Everything that he does throughout the, the course of the day, the weeks, the months, and so forth. So here's what I want you to get today. Here's what I want you to take away is I want you to turn away from the world and abide in the word through prayer. Turn away from the world and abide in the word through prayer. 
So for those of you who are here today who have trouble praying, or maybe you need a refresher, maybe you, you want to realign yourself with prayer and what it looks like, hopefully I can help you with that today. As we look at the word pray, is P-R-A-Y, this acronym I'm going to use today in prayer. Uh, P stands for praise. The R stands for repentance. The A stands for ask. And the Y stands for yield, pray. Praise, repentance, ask, yield. And we're going to see this in our text here this morning. Nehemiah 5 and 6 goes in. And the Levites uh, have gotten everybody together. Remember, we've uh, refocused ourselves on worship. And that's that they rebuilt the walls there in Jerusalem. But they saw that the spiritual walls were still down. And so Nehemiah, along with the Levites and everybody, hey, let's get back to what's foundational here. The Levites are instructing what what they are to, to, to be learning. How do we remember who God is and who he's been for us? In verse 5 of chapter 9, it says, Stand up and bless the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. You are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven, the heavens of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth, and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them and the host of heavens worship you. You see here in this section, as the Levites come and, and they start to pray, you see they start with praise. They start by acknowledging God and who he is and what he has done. Instead of thinking about themselves and everything that they want or need, they remind themselves first about who they are talking to. They remind themselves and remember about how good and gracious God has been. This orients everything that they're going to talk about later by remembering who God is and what he's done. And I love the specificity here in their prayers. We, we often miss this. I, I think that our prayers are way too generic. I think when we go to God, we, we're just the, the, the off-brand type of prayers. You know, this is, this is the Walmart type of prayers and not, not the official brand name. We are way too generic. Like, well, God, you've been so good. Thank you so much for everything you've done. I appreciate you so much. You, you were there when I needed you. All those things are true. But we miss, and we, we miss the opportunity to give him praise for what he's actually done. And so when somebody says, well, why do you follow this God? Why do you follow this Jesus? What, what, what does it matter? And you go, well, I mean, he's just been good. I mean, he's a good God, right? But when you can say, I was at my deepest moment, and I didn't know what to do. I didn't know where to turn. And, and I, I didn't have many people around me. And, you know, I was reading through scripture and the words leapt off the page. And I could, it resonated so deeply with me. It, it changed the way I was. I was transformed by the renewing of my mind. And I was able to work through. I saw God working in my life and he put me in the right direction. I mean, that's very different. I want to hear more of that story. But, you know, I mean, God is good. He does all right. 
we need to be very specific. And this is what we see the Levites doing here, is they're very specific about who God is and what he has done. You know, it might seem silly, as you know, earlier I prayed about, you know, thanking God for the, the breath in our lungs and waking us up this morning, and even the, the function of our limbs, right? That might seem, seem dumb, but what would we be without those things? What would life be like if you couldn't get out of bed? If you have trouble breathing? Those are things that we should be thankful for, even if it's hindered in some way. We should still be thankful because we know God is still on the throne. The text says the Lord made heaven with all their hosts and the earth and the seas and etc. So we know this and we're used to hearing these things, and I think that we become desensitized to it. We, we've been in church so long that, uh, yeah, 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 I get, you know, you know, Jesus did that, and oh, yeah, yeah. Slow down. Come back. Realize what it is that, that, that has been done for us, and, and let us not be, uh, stop being amazed by it. When we think about what God has done and who he is, we should continuously be amazed. The text says the Lord preserves all that is in it. All the heavens and the hosts, everything worships him. How amazing is that? The text goes on in verse, uh, verses 7 through 18 to talk about God's grace to the people and through their continuous failures, he was still there through the times that they were in wilderness, God was still there. Verse 7 says, You are the Lord, the Lord, the God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him the name Abraham. You found his heart faithful before you and made him the covenant to give to his offspring, the land of Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites and the Gergesites. And you have kept your promise. You are righteous. You saw the affliction of our fathers of, in Egypt and heard their cry at the Red Sea and performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh and all his servants and the people of the land. And you knew that they acted arrogantly against our fathers and you made a name for yourself as it is to this day. You divided the sea before them so that they went through the midst of the sea and the dry land and you cast their pursuers into the depths as a stone into mighty waters." By a pillar of cloud, you led them in day and by a pillar of fire in the night to light for them the, the way in which they should go. You came down on Mount Sinai and spoke with them from heaven and gave them right rules and true laws, good statutes and commandments. You made known to them your holy Sabbath and commanded them commandments and statutes and a law of, by Moses, your servant. You gave them bread from the heaven from your hunger and brought water for them out of their rock for their thirst and you told them to go and to possess the land that you had sworn to give them but they and our fathers acted presumptuously and stiff-necked stiffened their neck and they not they did not obey your commandments they refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, 
slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and did not forsake them. Even when they had made for themselves a golden calf and said, this is our, your God who brought you up out of Egypt and had commanded great blasphemies. You see, they're going and rehearsing, reminding themselves of the history, the time that God has been there for them. And they go through and they admit, like, we were wicked. Our fathers were, they were wrong. They were, they were stiff-necked. They, they didn't appreciate and understand this is what we call repentance. Here they show amount of repentance. This is the uh, natural response when we recognize that of God's greatness, God's holiness. We, we understand, when we look at how holy God is, we understand how wretched we are, how undeserving we are. Another place we see this is in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 6 and 3. It says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. You see, when confronted with God and his holiness, Isaiah realizes the depth of his own sinfulness. Much like we see in the text this morning as the, the Levites are confessing how Israel became arrogant, they became presumptuous, they became stiff-necked. They had to turn away from that. They had to ask for forgiveness and go in the other direction. So as we pray, we need to praise we need to repent. The next is ask. While we pray and we ask God for help, it, it, what it does is it acknowledges our dependence on him. When we, when we ask for his help, his, his guidance, his blessings, his mercy, we realize that we can't do it on our, on our own. Not only do we need help, we need somebody to do it for us. Because even if we were trying to do it, we couldn't do it right. We couldn't do it well. We couldn't do it perfectly. We submit to him because we know we can't live life on our own. And we don't start off this way because it will be like treating God as a magic genie. You know, we, we don't go and rub the Bible and just try to get the good things out of him. That's not how this works. But that's the way it looks often if we go to him when only we need something. Ultimately, we're not simply asking uh, for what we want, but we're, we're asking for what he wants for us so that he can get the glory. That's, that's something. We're, we're not asking necessarily for what we want. We're asking for what he wants for us so that he can get the glory. James 4 and 2 says, You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight, and you I imagine, this, this could have been written yesterday. It says, you desire, do not have, so you murder. You, you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. 
So we have to remember that our Heavenly Father delights in giving to his children. But again, we have to be mindful of the condition of our own hearts. As the Levites recount all the things that God has done and things that he's doing, they, they've confessed Israel's sin. They remind themselves of God's forgiveness and his provision. And they also remember God's continuous love. They remember his continued faithfulness. They remember his continued prom- promises. Now jump with me in Nehemiah 32, 9-32. It says, Now therefore, our God, the great and mighty and awesome God who keeps covenants and steadfast love, let not all the hardships seem little to you that has come upon us, upon our kings, our princes, our priests, our prophets, our fathers, and all your people since the time of the kings of Assyria until this day. You see, they ask, but please don't let these things uh, that we've been through become insignificant. Then they realize that they are they have been through the storm. They, they've continued to fight through challenges. And please don't let this go to waste. I don't know about you, but I've been there. I've been in the midst of the storm where this is, things are just uh, happening all around me. and It seemed like everything was falling apart. And I'm like, Lord, I know you're here. Don't let me miss this. Don't let me miss the lesson that you have for me here. And don't let this be insignificant for you. Help me to be there and see what I need to, to see and do what it is that I need to do. They know there's a reason that they went through all those things, and they don't want to miss it. And in the very next verse, it talks about how God remains faithful even though they acted wickedly. And he does the same for us. Even though we act wickedly, even though we don't follow what he's called us to do, even though we're not obedient to what he's called us to do, he's still there, he's still faithful. He's still merciful. So as we pray, we we praise, we repent, we ask, and then we yield. Something that's hard for us to do. It can be challenging for us. But in the end, we yield everything to God. Because remember, God is the one that's ultimately in control, not you. Sometimes we like to think that we are in control and we can make things happen and and work the way we want. No, you're fooling yourself. God is the one. He is the one that's in control. He is the one that's all-powerful. Just as you're not going to be able to stop a speeding train coming down the tracks, you you know to yield to it. You know better. You know you're not going to stop that train. In the same way, it's important for us to yield to God because God is all-knowing. He is wise. God loves his people with an enduring love. God also desires the best and he understands our weaknesses. He knows better than you do. And he's got you. So we yield. So I want us to, to take some time every day to pray. Hopefully you're already doing this. Taking some intentional time every single day of the rest of your life to pray. Not only that intentional time, but continue to throughout the day that you throw up prayers. Because remember, this is a a conversation that you're having with God. So you don't have to come prepared and 
But if it would help to have some written prayers, you could do that too. Write them out, recite them, get the Book of Common Prayer, Valley of Vision, whatever the case. But make sure that you're praying. To praise God for who he is, what he's done, to repent of your sin, to ask God to provide for your needs and the needs of others so that he would be glorified. And then finally, to yield to God and just let him do his thing. This will help us in our everyday journey. This will help us to be able to turn away from the world and abide in the word through prayer. Won't you join me now as, as we pray to close? Father, let us not ever get to a place where we're no longer amazed by who you are and what you've done. Help us to continue to be steeped in your word and to get to know you better at a, at a, at a deeper level. And we, we give you the praise and the recognition you rightly deserve. Help us to see what, how you've cared for your people over the course of time. And to know that you are the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. That if you can do all these things throughout the course of time, even from the foundation of the world, that you are still going to be good and faithful to do uh, for your people here today as well. Knowing that you're trustworthy, knowing that you're faithful. Help us to see where we have wronged you. Help us to see where we have gone against what your word says to us. Help us to see the ways in which that we are not living according to how you would have us to live. And not just see it and recognize it, but help us to ask and beg for your forgiveness. Help us to turn away from those things. Help us to turn away from our fleshly desires our needs. Help us to turn away from the pleasures that we seek in this own life. Help us to turn away from uh, the feelings that we might have that go against what it is that you've called us to be. And as we do these things, help us to be able to ask for what it is that you want for us so that you can be glorified. How would you have us to be so that we can lift your name up on high. We can go and shout from the rooftops how good you have been to us. And even though the flesh continues to pull us in various ways, help us to yield, help us to stop and, and let you do what you've got to do. To know that you are good in all your ways. Help us to just to, to, to sit back and not try to force you, force your hand. Help us to yield to you. Father, I thank you so much for all that you've done. If there's anybody under the sound of my voice that does not know you at a personal level, that they would be encouraged today to ask the question, how can I be saved? How does this look in my life? How can I live out these truths? Father, we thank you for all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.